Good morning once again. Welcome to Calvary Baptist Church. I'm Pastor Ron Hudson, the lead pastor, and I am excited. We are starting a brand new series today called Love Endgame, and this is a series for students who um, are in a relationship or dating. This is for graduates who are thinking about their next stage of life. This is um, for singles who are looking to be in a relationship or, or start a relationship or find somebody. In fact, if you are a single female, I have a good friend of mine who is an eligible bachelor, and I am taking resumes. You can send your, if you're listening online, send it to Pastor Ron at yourcbcfamily.org. I'm not going to call out anybody in, in particular, um, but you can give them a hard time after the service. <laughs> but um, this is for married couples who want to stay married, Okay. This is, um, if you want to stay married and have a, a good relationship, a healthy, holistic marriage that honors Christ. This is for singles who, who um, were married, but now you find yourself in a place and dating is different. It's weird. There's phones, there's texting, there's all these apps, there's all this stuff, and you are just at a new, confusing place. This is for anybody in a romantic relationship who wants to be in a romantic relationship, who hopes to be in a romantic relationship, who's trying to figure out. Because it's complicated. Whether you're 13 or 16 or 26, 36, 56, it doesn't get any less complicated. And this series is really important because it gives me an opportunity to talk about something that is really, really important to me. It's something that I have to deal with um, and that's heavy on my heart. And it's watching people make relationship decisions that undermine their own relationships. As a pastor, I, I get to tell you what the Bible says. I get to talk to you. I get to encourage you. But then sometimes I have to sit back and as parents, as teachers, as, as people who love people, we all are in relationships and we see people make relationship decisions that actually undermine their own relationships. And watching people make What's already complicated, more complicated, is heartbreaking. It's gut-wrenching. And there's enough unavoidable pain and suffering and heartbreak in the world without adding to it with our own decisions, right? So sometimes I watch and I think, have you thought this through? Have you really thought this through? Are you thinking, is all the noodles working up there? Or, you know, is someone cooked? Everything's not quite al dente. Have you seen that work out for anybody else outside of Hallmark or Netflix? <laughs> have, you, have you really seen that work in the real relationships that last? Or has nobody warned you? You got a mama in your life, a dad in your life, a brother, sister, friend, pastor, mentor. This. Hey, you know, are you sure? Are you sure you want to do this? Is, is this the best choice for your life? And for those of you that are serial daters, uh, who think, you know, one day I'll, I'll settle down, one day I'll figure it out, and you're just playing the game for now, and it's your business, it's your life, and you're going to do whatever you want, whether I, whatever I say anyways. But I, I, this series is for you. This series is for you. If your idea is to settle down someday, but for now, you can use them and lose them, then that's heartbreaking to me too. And it's heartbreaking because you're hurting you and you're hurting them and you might think to yourself well no it's consensual you know our relationship is consensual they said yes i said yes you know we're both on the same page with where we're at and we've talked this out but here's the thing that maybe you don't understand harm can be consensual we can consent to harm each other 
thinking that it's beneficial, thinking that it's good for us. We can consent to harm each other, to exploit each other. And it's not good. If you're playing the game, if you are hurting you and hurting other people, this series is for you. And you don't want to do either one of those. I know you don't. And you're setting yourself up to be a liar for life. And maybe this isn't you. Maybe this is just something I made up in my head. But I've talked to too many people in counseling and in relationships who their, their greatest pain is that they carry around a lie that they feel like they can't tell the people they love what really happened in their life. And when it comes time to tell your story, what you are doing relationally and what you are doing morally, there are going to be chapters in your life. There are going to be chapters in your story. And someday, you're going to be sitting at Starbucks, you're going to be sitting at Applebee's with some friends and, or, or some young people or someone, and hey, Daddy, would tell the story of how you and Mom met. And do you want that to be like a chapter that you want to be like, well, I don't know. Well, how did you guys get together, you know? Do you want that to be part of your story? There's going to be chapters of your story, and one day somebody's going to ask, to hear your story. And when you tell your story, you're going to be tempted to lie about parts of it. I know. Many of us are. You're going to be tempted to lie about parts of it. And I've talked to way too many women, guys, who married a guy and didn't find out the whole story until years later. And so, she didn't have the choice to choose the whole person. She only chose a partial person and then found out later on what all was involved. Because the guy didn't share his whole story. Or the girl didn't share her whole story. And I get it. You were, you were ashamed of your story. It's, it's, it's normal. That's what happens. When we mess up, we make mistakes and we have pain. And we're ashamed. We want to cover it up. We don't want to talk about it. And I want you to be proud of your story. I want you to have no regrets. Another good story that some of you are like, wow, this just got really like heavy really quick and I can't wait to get out of here. How much longer is he going to be? Because that just ruined my whole life and there's no hope for me because I've already got chapters written, Pastor Ron. Like, you don't understand. I can't just like go back. And Another really cool chapter is, you know, on this day in February 9th, 2020, I changed. I made a decision and a commitment that no longer would I be a person that plays relationship games, but I would become the kind of person that honors Christ and follows Him with my life. And that extends to other people and other relationships. That's a really cool chapter to write. And you can write that here at Calvary. Because we're a church where broken people find hope. And transformation is available in the Gospel of Jesus Christ and who He is. And He can change your life if you'll let Him, if you'll listen, if you'll be obedient to Him. You can write a new chapter in your life. And I don't want you to be somebody's regret. I don't want you to be a hypocrite. Think about it. If somebody did unto your niece or sister or mom what you do to other women, then you would want to do something back unto them, right? You wouldn't want someone to treat people you love in that way. And I don't want you to do something to someone that you wouldn't want done to you or your family or your niece or younger sister or single mom. 
You don't like hypocrites. That's why, why some of you don't like coming to church. You just straight up don't like hypocrites. So I'm saying don't join us. Like, <laughs> don't become one of us. Don't become one of the hypocrites by doing something in your life that you wouldn't accept anyone else to do. Because you don't like hypocrites and you don't want to be a hypocrite. Ladies, I, I don't like to speak for ladies. I've never been one. So um, I'm going to be careful here in how I say this. Um, I know I'm on thin ice, but I don't want you to be treated like a commodity. A commodity is something that is bought and sold and traded and eventually discarded when it's no longer of use. I don't want you to be treated like a commodity. I don't want you to allow yourselves to be treated like a commodity. Maybe you've started to feel a little bit like a commodity because of the decisions you've made or decisions other people have made or you've allowed other people to make. I don't want you to feel that way. I don't want you to feel that I want you to feel that you have extraordinary value and, and worth, and not just because God says so, but because of the way men treat you. Men, I want you to step up. I want you to be gentle men. That is a biblical word. It's what we're called to in the scripture. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit to be gentle. Gentlemen is powerful. Self-control is enormously powerful. It's hard. It's not for the weak. Deferring to the wishes of someone else is powerful. Kindness is powerful. Grace and mercy are powerful, powerful things. Ladies, don't you wish there were more gentlemen? Yeah? I'm no longer going to allow myself to be mistreated. I want you to take that on. I'm no longer going to allow myself to be mistreated, whether you're male or female. Because if you, if you allow yourself to be mistreated, then you start to think that's, that's how it's supposed to be. And that it's okay. And that's who you are. And that's not who you are. It's not who you are. And you begin to define yourself that way. And I realize it's hard for you to imagine that it can be different, but this series is about helping you think differently about yourself and your future and your relationships. So we're going to talk about two myths today, and then we're going to look at some Scripture. But there are two big relationship myths that can really undermine your relationships. And a myth is, is simply this. It's an unexamined assumption. It's something that you assume to be true that you haven't even looked at. Maybe you don't even know you assume it to be true, but it's like, it's like one of those premises you start with when you, when you start arguments or thoughts. or It's, some, it's whenever there's an unexplored assumption, it, it informs your decisions, but you don't know it's informing your decisions because it's like flying under the radar. It's something you just take for granted to be true. Everything in our culture fuels these two myths. The first one is the right person myth. Myth number one is the right person myth. And it's not the myth that there's not um, a right person out there. The right person myth is once you meet the right person, everything will be okay. This is the right person myth. And some of you that are married, you're like, oh, that ain't true. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah. Right? And uh, I can see the elbows flying. The right person myth is that once you meet the right person, then everything will just align the earth and the sun and everything will align and perfect and everything will be right. 
and married people, you know that's not true. <laughs> Everything's going to be alright regardless of what you do now. It's the second part of that myth. That when I meet the right person, regardless of what's, what I've done or what I'm doing or the decisions I'm making or who I'm becoming, regardless of any of that, when I meet the right person, it will click. And I will be right, and they will be right, and we will be right, and it'll be all right. And the past just disappears because I met the right person. So for now, I could do whatever I want, but, you know, but when I meet the right person, then I will settle down. I'll change. You know, then I'll get serious about this stuff. And you think your problem is that you just haven't met the right person yet. And when you meet that right person, then you'll know and then it will change. Or maybe you've met them and you've moved in with them. Or you've met them and you've married them. But now things aren't alright anymore. They're not like they used to be. And you're slowly, slowly starting to come to the conclusion that you must have chosen the wrong right person. How is that possible? And now, you're looking for who? You're looking for the next right person. And when I say it like that, and I don't mean like really slow and spread out. When I say it like that, it sounds silly. It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But isn't that so much of what our culture teaches and believes and what you see and what you hear from friends and what other people, well, you know, maybe they weren't the right person. And when I say it this way, it sounds ridiculous. But this way of thinking fuels so much of how our relationship decisions are made. You know, I'm, un I'm unhappy because I'm with the wrong person. And you're unhappy because you're with the wrong person. You just need to find the right person and then everything's going to be alright again. And not only is everything going to be fine, but everything is going to be fine, including you. I mean, if you found the right person, then you're not going to have that problem with drinking you know that that is just a that's because of this relationship thing you're in you're not going to have that issue with pornography anymore guys you know because you find the right person and then the sex will happen as frequently as it needs to and then you won't have this issue anymore and you just need the right person and then your lusts won't be a problem anymore you're not going to have anger issues if you find the right person who doesn't get on your nerves so much you're not going to have insecurity issues if you find the right person that loves you and takes care of you the way you think you will, you really need. I mean, your self-doubt will go away because now you're in a stable, loving relationship where they really care about you and all that will just go away. And you'll never doubt your self-worth again when you find the right person. You'll never feel unloved and afraid of connection when you find the right person. You'll never feel alone anymore. And you're going to have, you're not going to have financial problems because now you have the right person. Maybe they have some money, and so the issue is you don't make enough, and so you find that. Now two incomes come together, and everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be better. Everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be different when I find the right person. And this crazy idea, and you think it's crazy, as I'm telling you, you're like, well, that's insane. But it, this crazy idea is everywhere. It fuels your decisions a lot of the times. It's a premise that you don't even consider because you just take it for granted because it's everywhere. And it fuels your fantasies. What do I mean by it fuels your fantasies? Think about it. 
when you begin to daydream about the perfect relationship, who's changed? The person you're in a relationship with? Or do you fantasize and dream about your own character changing? Who you are being different? Or do you dream about, man, uh, my husband wouldn't be like that. He would be different. She would be different. That's how we know. It's fueling somewhere in, somewhere in our stuff. It's there. And what fuels your fantasies is not becoming the right person. What oftentimes fuels your fantasies is finding the right person. And it's a myth. Because there's more to a satisfying relationship than just finding the right human being. There's more to being in a great relationship than being found. It doesn't make great film, though. It doesn't make great TV or reality television. Right? The Bachelor is all about picking the right person. It's not about being together afterwards. None of it is about becoming. It's all about finding. What makes great TV and film is falling in love. They find each other at the beginning of the film. You know they're supposed to be together. We know they're supposed to be together. But it takes like an hour and 45 minutes for them to figure out they're supposed to be together. And then at the end, through some grand gesture on a moped scooter, you know, or going through like the fields in like an English village or something, you know, they make this, and then they get together and then the movie is over. It's done. That was a great movie. We love being entertained by the finding and the falling in love. Because falling in love requires a pulse. That's it. You've got blood going through your veins. You can fall in love. You can fall in love. Just about anybody. You could fall in love. That's all it requires is a pulse. Staying in love, though, requires so much more. And this series is about the so much more. The second myth is the promise myth. The second myth is this. A promise replaces the need for preparation. A promise replaces the need for preparation. You can commit, promise, and vow your way to a successful and satisfying future. And all that came before can be wiped away with a promise and a party. Right? And maybe several grand in debt. (laughs) Promises, though, are no substitute for preparation. And we know this is true, right? Promises are no substitute for preparation. Like, uh, I, I see Mr. Brodus here. He's a coach for many years. And, you know, if, if, if a team member were to say, Coach, I'm not going to practice today. I don't need to practice because I promise I'll do my best during the game. That guy's sitting the bench, right? <laughs> you don't just promise and say, I promise I will do my best. You know, you don't go into a meeting where you have to, to make a presentation. And it's like, hey, you know, I, Ryan he works in sales on some level. And so, you know, we got a presentation to make. And Ryan's like, Ron, did you do the presentation? No, 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 man. We're good. I, I don't need to prepare anything. I'm just going to walk in there, look him in the eye and say, I promise we're the best. And that, that's it. I mean, now what else do they need? We're going to make a promise. I'll hold both their hands. At this. <laughs> that, that doesn't work in business. It doesn't work in sports. It doesn't work anywhere. If you had a brain tumor and you go to the hospital to meet with the surgeon and you go into their office and you sit in a room and they got the thing on, no, they got the plaque on the wall, you know, and, it, and it's empty. 
there's no school there. And you're like, well, hey, where did you go to school? Well, you know, I watched YouTube. You can learn anything on YouTube nowadays. Really? Well, how many of these have you done? Well, this is my first, but I promise I'm going to do my best. Come on, honey, we're getting out of here. <laughs> like we're not, you're not sticking around. No, that's not enough. Because preparation is more important than promise. You don't promise to win, you prepare to win. And when it comes to relationships, commitment is overrated. Because just making the commitment isn't the same as I can. I do is not the same as I can. It's not. I do is not the same as I can. Saying I do doesn't make a person capable. It only makes you accountable. And it absolutely does make you accountable both to your friends and family and to God. But it doesn't make you capable. When you're accountable but not capable, guess what? You're miserable. When you get in a relationship and you realize, I can't do this. I don't know what I'm doing. What am I going to do? And I've already made this this vow before God, you know, and like it's wrapped up in my church community, and what, what do I do? Now you're miserable because you've made this commitment and you don't have the capability, you don't have the, the, the wherewithal to actually make it happen. And here's a genius statement, so brace yourselves for the intellect here. If you aren't preparing, you won't be prepared. Think about that. And then you say, let me explain a little slower. If you aren't preparing, you won't be prepared. This is where choosing to follow Jesus makes all the difference. Because he will make your life better and make you better at life. Because Jesus, as he said to the woman at the well, he is, if you knew who I was, you would ask of me, and I would give you a drink that would spring into life everlasting. So, what do we do? It's not about finding the right person. It's about becoming the right person. Become the kind of person that you are looking for. Become the kind of person that you are looking for. Are you the kind of person the kind of person you're looking for is looking for? Are you the kind of person the person you're looking for is looking for? Or are you preparing to be that? If you're married or in a relationship, Here's your version. Are you still the person they were looking for? Are you still becoming the person they were looking for? Or did you just say, well, I put a ring on it, so cruise control, smooth sailing, no need to change, no need to grow, no need to continue in my walk with Christ. I'm good to go. I am good to go. Got that on lockdown. Have you allowed life, kids, or money to turn you into somebody else? And Jesus stepped into history and introduced a new relationship paradigm. It's simple, but compelling. It's demanding and rewarding. And when understood correctly, it makes us want the story and message of Jesus to be true about us. See, when you really understand what Jesus says, you, most of us will look at that and say, I want that to be true about me. I want that to be true about my relationships. I want that to be true about the person that I'm marrying or that I'm married to. When it comes to finding the right person, Jesus didn't offer advice. What He taught about was becoming the right person. And it's amazing. When speaking to the twelve apostles, Jesus illustrated it this way in John chapter 15. 
In John chapter 15, he's talking to the apostles. It was an agrarian culture. And so he talked oftentimes about farmers. And one of the things he's talking about in John 15 is a vineyard. Okay, He's talking about a vine that grows grapes. And they see these all over the place. They know it well. And so he's using this imagery. He says in John 15.1, I am the true vine. And my father is the husbandman. That's a, an KJV word for gardener. I am the true vine and my Father is the gardener. The goal of the vine is to produce healthy fruit. Jesus' goal was to explain how people can connect to God through Him. So he goes on in verse 2. Every branch in me, that's in who? That's in Jesus, because Jesus is speaking here. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, that doesn't have fruit on it, that doesn't grow any grapes, He, the gardener, takes it away. Cuts it off. And every branch that bears fruit, He clips it. He prunes it so that it may bring forth more fruit. He takes the fruit off. Trims down the pieces that are sticking out that shouldn't be. So the vine grows well so it can can grow the best fruit. He's trying to explain this. The goal is fruit bearing and fruitfulness. By the way, your life bears fruit. Whether you follow Jesus or not, your life absolutely bears some kind of fruit. And that fruit is your relationships. It's the respect that you have. It's the wake you leave behind you. It's the the stamp of the kingdom that you create around you. And it's either a picture, a reflection an extension of the kingdom of God as we've been talking as a follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ, or it's a reflection of you and your own selfishness and your own pride and your own stuff. And it's either exploit or it's a picture of what Christ calls love. And He knows what love is all about. The goal of mine is to produce healthy fruit. And you have fruit. It's your reputation. It's the outcomes and results of your decisions. And not all fruit is good fruit. He goes on. Now you are clean through the Word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in Me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in Me. And what Jesus is saying very simply is, stay connected to Me and follow Me. Stay connected to me and follow me. You can't bear the fruit that God has for us. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, self-control. These things will not come out of your life unless you are connected to Christ. They won't be consistent in your life. You won't tell other people about God. You won't share the kingdom of God. It will be your kingdom and not Christ's kingdom. So you have to stay connected in the vine. Stay connected to me and follow me. Then he tells us why. He tells us why. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide or remain in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. A branch looks to the vine for life and help. So here's the application. We can't bear the fruit that reflects Christ unless we stay connected to Christ. It's pretty simple, right? And what does that connection mean? First off, it means confessing your sins and 
asking Christ into your life, believing that He's the Son of God, we would include baptism in this process. That's the first step of obedience in your sanctification process. But then it's what we talked about in our last series. Listening to the Teacher, the Holy Spirit of God, and letting your will direct your life, your desires, your body, which I call the dog, and your mind, directing that whole team as the Holy Spirit says that you should direct that team. He goes on, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, or remains in me, and I in him, the same, brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. He goes on to say that if you disconnect, if you disconnect, you're like a branch that withers. And then he defines what he means by fruit. He's going to tell us what he's meaning by fruit here in his next statement. And it's so powerful. Drop down to verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. What, are you, what exactly are you suggesting, Christ? If we stay connected to Christ, we will bear fruit. And now he's talking about love. I thought we were talking about fruit. Why are we talking about love now? I'm to stay connected to Christ in His love. This is why following Jesus changes everything. Because here's the surprise. Verse 10. If you keep My commandments. Oh, I knew we were going there. I knew we were going there. We had some nice jokes, Ron. He talked about relationships and stuff. But now you're going to talk about the commandments. Alright, so there's a list of things. And if I do this list of things, it's just like BuzzFeed, right? Like 26 ways to find the best puppy. You know, like, okay, you know, <laughs> give me the list. Everybody get out your pen and paper. We're going to write down the list of things to do. The disciples were well accustomed to lists. They were Jewish guys. And said, okay, Jesus, give us your list. Here it comes. It's about commands. What are your commands, Jesus? Jesus knows what they're thinking. And so, He, he wants to short-circuit this thinking about, oh, i just got to keep this list and then God will bless me. He says, no, this is different. These things I've spoken unto you, this, this, this thing I'm telling you and this thing I'm about to tell you is so that your joy will be full. That my joy might remain in you. That you have the joy of God in Christ. An everlasting joy that is intangible. You can't buy it. You can't sell it. It is a joy overflowing. And what Jesus is offering is way more than falling in love. What Jesus is offering is a way of staying in love. So maybe you think, well, I'll give the list a try. Come on already. Show me the list. Here we go. You got your phone ready? Take a picture of the list. Here's the list. This is my commandment. What, just one? Just one commandment? Yeah. That you love one another as I have loved you. We remain connected to you and bearing fruit by keeping one command? Love each other. Wait, I thought this was about staying connected to Jesus, not connected to other people, but all of a sudden Jesus makes the transition here. He says, you will, you will show the fruit. You know that you are connected with Me when you love other people. And when you're keeping My command, when you're abiding in Me, 
in the vine when you're a disciple, a follower, when you're consistent in your following of Jesus, when you're a real life Christian, then it will be evidenced by how you love others. You say, well, that's not true. I know some really old Christians that are really unloving. They're not Christians. They might be really good at trivia, but I don't care if I've been following Jesus for 30 years, and if I don't treat others with love, then I'm not following Jesus. I might be following a caricature, a picture of Jesus, something that I've made up in my head, but that's not who Christ is because Christ just said, if you are connected with me consistently, the result will be you love other people. Wait, I thought this was about something else. How do you know we're keeping this command? It seems kind of open-ended. It seems like, oh, you know, how do, I, how do I know I'm doing this well? How do we know we're keeping it? Well, he explains. And we'll get into more of this in the, the coming weeks, but he says, as I have loved you. You see, we're not talking about a Hallmark Channel love. We're not talking about, you know, baking cookies or, or the things that, you know, the five love languages. Or Not that that's a bad book. It's a cool book. But we're not talking about whatever concept of love you might have. We're talking about the concept of love that Jesus has. The Bible calls agape love. God's love. Christ's love. How do I know we're keeping the command when... When we're doing it as Christ. Oh, that's right. We're, we're taking our cues from Christ, from the vine. And we're the branches. And this is the kind of love that allows you to put others first. This is the kind of love where you lay down your life for a friend, as he goes on to say. This is the kind of love that allows you to forgive others. This is the kind of love where you do for others as you would have done to you. And a few days later, Jesus would put on a demonstration of love that would take their breath away because it took His breath away. And He demonstrated, He proved on the cross when He died and He shed His blood for you and for me exactly the kind of love that He's talking about. That He calls us to. He says, this is how you know you are My disciple when you love like the cross. That's how you know you are in Christ. Not when you got a big car or a big house or goo goo eyes. It's when you love like Christ loves. When that comes out of you, when you become that kind of person, then you know you are in Christ. You are walking in Christ. And that should be the passionate goal of each and every one of us as members of Calvary Baptist Church to be like Christ in such a way that our love looks like His love. This is what Jesus means by abiding in Him. It's about letting God's love throw, flow to others through you, especially those you are in relationship with. And this goes beyond romantic relationships even. It's those you are in relationship with. In reference to Christ's love, St. Augustine made this comment and. St. Augustine is in Florida. St. Augustine is in heaven. In case you get the too mixed up. He said this, Love and do what thou wilt. This has been taken out of context. 
This sounds so easy and cheap sometimes, but it's not. What it means is, and Christ even says this, if you'll do this, if you'll keep My commands, if you will love like God loves, then God would be more than willing. He would love to just give you whatever you want because your wanter is now properly calibrated towards what God wants. And so then, the things you want, the dreams you have, the fantasies you have are about expanding His kingdom, about serving, about loving in radical, passionate ways, bringing people to Christ. And, and He'll say, yeah, <laughs> you need resources, we'll give you resources. I'll give you whatever you need to serve in this way. To do this, this mission, this passion. And God doesn't want to run your life. He doesn't want to control your life. He wants you to control your life and run your life as an extension of His kingdom. As someone who defers to the Holy Spirit, defers to God and says, okay, I'm accountable. I'm responsible for my whole team, for my mind and, and for my body and for my desires and my will. And I'm accountable. I'm responsible. And I'm going to run this as directed by the Holy Spirit, as the teacher directed by God. Because I want to follow Him. And where I can't do it, the Holy Spirit's going to empower me to do supernaturally what I can't do naturally. He wants you to run your own life through His love because He is love. The vine is love. The fruit is love. God is love. And love is the end game. And when you get the loving right, everything else falls into place. When we practice love, remember it's, Many of us have made this promise. You've come to an altar and prayed, or you've stood and held hands and promised, or you've, you've cried out to God and said, I'm going to be different. I'm, I really want to change. And you, you said words. But it's not about words. It's about practice. When we practice love as Jesus demonstrated love, then this is how you become the person worth looking for. If you're married or in a relationship, this is how you become a person worth staying for. It's how you prepare to commit. And it's how we stay committed. And as we'll discover next time, the kind of person Jesus leads His followers to become is the kind of person we are all ultimately looking for and ultimately want to become. And if love one another seems too open-ended, too permissive, too undefined, or dangerous, well, Pastor Ron, there's more to it than that. You know, there's a whole Bible full of stuff that we're supposed to do. And you're right. And I call that the fine print. The overarching theme is love, but there is fine print. And the fine print is fine. And the fine print will make you fine if you'll listen to it. And when two people embrace the fine print and stay connected to the vine, their relationships will be Oh, so fine. So don't miss next week. In the meantime, that's what we're going to talk about next week is, is the fine print. But in the meantime, I've, I'm going to leave you with some questions. I have just a handful of questions that you can write down. You can take a picture of this. Or I want you to think about this in your relationships. Because I really want you to apply this stuff. I don't want you to just have an emotional moment. I know you're, you've got a lot of things going on in your mind. But I want you to think these through. I want you to spend some time 
examining yourself with the Holy Spirit and saying, God, what, what needs to change or transform in me? So the first one, what are or were the top three things that you are looking for or were looking for in a spouse? What are the top three things that you were or are looking for in your marriage? Number two, how do you measure up to those three things? How do you measure up to those three things that you're expecting from someone else? How do you measure up? Number three, list three things that come to mind when you think about Jesus' love for you. When you think about how Jesus loves you, what three things come to mind? And then finally, what would it look like for you, not someone else, but for you to extend that kind of love, those three things to someone else? What would that look like? These are the, the four questions. Let's bow our heads and pray this morning. Dear God, my heart's prayer, my, my burden is is that people would understand who You are. The Bible says that You are love. And every decision You made for me was about love. Sending Your Son to die for me. Sending Your Son to die for them. Your work on the cross. Your work with the disciples. Your work with the nation of Israel throughout the Old Testament to preserve the Word of God. It was about love. It was about you putting your family back together again so that we could live in your kingdom. So that we could go to live eternally with you someday, but even now we could be your disciples. Even in this world that's broken, even in this place where people don't, don't seem to want to follow you and they're out for their own desires and their own self. You've called us. You've reached out to each person here. They're here for a reason. They're listening to this message. Maybe even online in their car or, or wherever they're at. They're listening for a reason because you love them and are calling out to them even in this moment right now to say, listen, I love you. I care about you. I, I want you to change. I want you to learn how to do relationships from the source of all love and relationships. And God, this is important. It's so important to you that you so love the world that you set your son. So God, I pray that we would lean into this. That we would lean into this series that we would start to examine what do we think love is. And then we would listen to your Holy Spirit. Listen to the teacher. When, when we feel that poke, that nudge from you to change something, to to have a conversation, to reach out to a discipler or a mentor or a sponsor or a pastor or to have this conversation as a couple or as friends. How do we become the person that we're looking for? God, I pray that You would speak to us this week, work through these questions, and challenge us to grow. In Jesus' name, Amen.